and you're not quite sure about yourself, you want to make sure you cover up that weakness by controlling everything and keeping it all in your office and all those kinds of things. People who are great servant leaders are, are very humble because they feel comfortable about themselves. As a result, as Greenleaf said, you got to serve first and lead second. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Ken Blanchard has written over 60 books. The big one is The One Minute Manager, and I would tell you my One Minute Manager story because it made a big impression on me, but I told that to him at the beginning, so you get to hear it in a couple seconds. Ken does not need to be humble. He does not need to put others first, but he does. What I love about speaking to people with experience is that they can say in a few words and through your behavior, what takes me paragraphs to get across. He's just come out with the book, Servant Leadership in Action, and that's one of the main things we talk about. You'll also get to hear us talking about the environment, and he's a different take than a lot of people. He connects leadership and environment in a very close way, and I think you'll enjoy what you hear. So here's Ken. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership and the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Ken Blanchard. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing just great. I just uh, Life is a very special occasion, and I try not to miss too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I, I've slept through about a third of it, though. <laughs> Actually, I enjoy yeah, the sleep. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a waste of time, but I think we need it. <laughs> yeah. So just before, we, just before I hit record, I was telling you that I wanted to start with my one-minute manager story. And I, you know, part of me doesn't want to tell it because I feel like I don't want to be like everybody else and say like, oh, it was such a formative thing. It was such an important thing, experience for me. Because you probably get that a lot, but I'm going to indulge myself and tell you anyway. And it was after I started my first company and I lost control of it and I got squeezed out by the investors. And only later did I look back and realize that I, had, I didn't really have great leadership skills. And I started to work at a friend's startup and I got hired into this position. And after I got hired, another person got hired after me. And not long after that, my manager got promoted and the woman who was hired after me got promoted to the position and I didn't. And I was really angry. I was really frustrated. And I was angry at her for getting the position that I thought was mine. I was angry at the company, but I wasn't yet angry at myself because I didn't yet know what was going on. And the first thing that she did was she gave everyone in the team a copy of the One Minute Manager, which I'd, ne I'd never read before, but I'd actually seen because it was on my mom's bookshelf from like the early 80s when she was just starting becoming entrepreneurial. And I got the book and I was really angry and I read it. Like I, it didn't take long to read it. And I thought I, was, I wanted to be angry at her. And I wanted the book to be stupid. And I read it. And I was like, oh, this isn't stupid. And I thought, oh, this is really useful. And then years later, 
I went to business school and in business school, I started learning how to lead, how to manage. And this woman that I was angry at for getting my job ahead of me, that's the way I felt over and over again. I kept learning what she did was really effective. What she did was really, she was a very effective leader and she deserved the job ahead of me. And that book exemplified it. And so it was all backward. I was really angry. And only when I understood more of how to listen to people, how to not be, you know, it was all about me at the time, how great I was. And they should have recognized how great I was. And only later did I realize, like she gave that book out, not for her, she gave it for me. She was doing all these things to lead us. And so that book really, it was this thing that I wanted to dislike. Instead, I liked it. And then it, it was like, it, it was this illustration of very effective leadership, my first experience of it. So sorry if that was too long of a story. No, I, th- I think that's a powerful story, you know, because it's really interesting when you look at leadership, because, you know, I looked at all the MBA programs, you know, as an example, and they don't teach anything about leadership. They kind of tug it in an organizational behavior class. And, and we ended up starting a master's degree program and executive leadership at the University of San Diego, just because I want to do that. Because I, I think that leadership is, is, you know, some people are born leaders, you know, some people say, and some people, you know, can learn it. But I think everybody can learn some stuff. And we think that effective leadership is a transformational journey, beginning with first understanding yourself, you know, I mean, like you, in your example, you took a while before you took a look inside, you know, and who you were and what you were up to. And, and all the leaders I've seen who are problems in organizations are scared little kids inside. And it's interesting, uh, Josh, I look back to Thomas Harris wrote a book years ago called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And he said the worst life position was I'm okay, you're not, you know. And what he said is all the research shows that people with that life position are really covering up not okay feelings about themselves, you know. And so we always start with self-leadership and help people look at themselves and take some personality tests and then, you know, take a look at what's their leadership point of view. I mean, who, who uh, impacted their lives, events and people, and what were the values they learned from them? And what does this mean in terms of what people can expect of them and all that, you know, and we really do that. And then we move to one-on-one leadership, which is how do you build a trusting relationship with, between you and somebody else? Then we move to team leadership, which is different than one-on-one because it's more complicated. And now you're talking about how do you build a sense of community? And then finally, the last stop is organizational leadership, where now you're trying to build a culture, you know, because it's more complicated teams. Cause you, and uh, people ought to be taught all of those kinds of things. And so I, I really got interested in, in those. And the, the key around all of them is the, is the mindset has got to be one of a servant rather than a self-serving person, you know, that, and that's when I, you know, really got interested. I am going to go and listen to what you just said several times. I hope other people do. There's so much in what you just said. And I, do you mind if I pick on a couple areas that to me, I found really intriguing? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I mean, one was that you talked about the reason people, the ineffective leaders are ineffective. They're covering something inside they're, I read insecurity and yeah, yeah, they're scared little kids inside. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's long been a question for me as a, as a leadership professor, what leads people to be ineffective leaders? Because there's not that, I mean, there's a few trends of ineffective leadership. And I often ascribed it to media that when you watch movies, TV, 
the leader is always telling people what to do. And it, it tends to be more authoritative and more not very much listening, not very, very much paying attention. Yeah, kind of and my I, way or the highway. <laughs> yeah. And it always looks great because it's really exciting and dramatic. And until I saw that failing in my life, I thought, oh, that's really cool. That's how it is. Yes. But I didn't really think about the insecurity. I mean, I could see the insecurity. Now that you say it, I'm like, well, duh. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, uh, Josh. Uh, you know, Jim Collins wrote Good to Great, which was considered one of the great books in our area. And he said the great leaders, the you know, level four, as he called them, had two characteristics. One is resolve, which is determination to accomplish a goal or live according to a vision. And the second was humility. And when I first heard uh, Jim talk about that, he said when the data first came out, I I said to the researchers, how can humility be the number two characteristic? Go look at the data again. They kept on coming back and I said, no, Jim, that's what comes out. Because think of, people think that people with humility, that that's a weakness. But listen to this definition of humility that I came up with when I was working with Norman Vincent Peale on a, on a book on, on ethics. People with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And that gets yeah. it, that gets that gets into my thing about you got to first feel good about yourself, you know, because then if you feel okay about yourself, then you can focus on other people. But if you're a scared little kid and you're not quite sure about yourself, you want to make sure you cover up that weakness by controlling everything and you know keeping it all in your office and all those kinds of things and so people who are great servant leaders are, are very humbled because they feel comfortable about themselves as a result you know as as greenleaf said you got to serve first and lead second you know that's why i really wrote this book servant leadership in action because i wanted people to realize that this isn't just a you know hairy fairy fun kind of thing but it's a, a very powerful thing that to me, you know, and John Maxwell, who wrote the forward, says the only way he knows to get great results and great human satisfaction is through servant leadership. And I agree. Yeah, the, the rewards of being with your people and having them, you didn't say these words, but I'm hearing loyalty, dedication, teamwork, getting each other's back. And and then I think of, you, you mentioned your book. So your book came out, I think it came out a, a month ago. I, I'm sorry, it yeah. took me a little while to schedule. And the people that you have in this book are the top leaders you have around you, your people. Well, I'm sure you have other people, but it's like a number one, everyone's a number one bestseller. Everyone's an, a guru. You've really collected quite a group of people together to get, I think the reason is that you wanted to get lots of different perspectives from lots of different people. Well, what, what I really want to do is is to make sure we we really ignite a movement around the world that was desperate need of a different leadership role model. We've seen what self-serving leadership has done in every sector of society around the world. I mean, why is Washington so dysfunctional? Well, it's a self-serving system, you know, and it's not one party's fault. The whole system is, uh, is self-serving. And so I asked John Maxwell, I said, who should we get to endorse the book? He said, can they're all, or they're all in the book. So when you, yeah. when you open, open the book, the first three and a half pages lists the contributors and what they're known for so that people can see uh, who we got. And I, I wanted to get not only practitioner, I mean, theorists and writers in the field, 
but there's really presidents, you know, you know, the Colleen Barrett's from Southwest and Cheryl Batchelor turned around Popeyes and, you know, Gary Ridge from WD-40 and Jimmy Blanchard that led uh, Synovus. They've won the best company to work for so often from Fortune magazine. They asked him to stop applying and, and set up an all-star list, you know, and, and that kind of stuff and Waste Connections, uh, a wonderful story about, about them. And so it's, um, uh, so I really wanted to to get all those and the Simon Sinek, you know, and the start with why and, you know, uh, leaders eat last and Brene Brown with all of her fabulous work on, on vulnerability and courage that comes up with that. And so, uh, and Marshall Goldsmith and Lencioni and Francis Hesselbaum. And so I, I just feel thrilled that all these people care enough about this subject that they wanted to get involved and to help me start it. And all the royalties for this book don't go to anybody, including me. They go to a, a, we've created a foundation for servant leadership so that we can get some funds together to support projects and people that are doing good things in the yeah. area. So that's a powerful thing. I did notice that it's a B Corp and yeah. that's not a trivial thing to do. So that must, I thought someone put attention in that. You know, the level of detail is very high. I mean, each chapter begins with you describing your connection with these people. So it's not just some cold someone coming in out of the blue, but it's a community effort. Your wife and she, you know, she's got a chapter. Yes. I think um, Brene Brown's on to something when she said that, you know, that, you know, to to be vulnerable, have to be courageous, you know, and Colleen Barrett, who took over president of Southwest after Herb stepped down, amazing person. She, her highest position before she was kind of Herb's executive secretary, you know, and, and he didn't want when he stepped down some, you know, Jack Welsh lookalike coming in. And because they had their vision and their values and all that really clear, so he didn't want somebody to come in and change that. He wanted a person who had servant in their heart that could really use that second part of the, the model, the implementation. And Nicole was perfect about that. But she has a great saying. She said, people admire your skills, but they love your vulnerability. And a lot of people think if you say to your people, God, we got a problem. I wish I had an answer and I really could use your help. People don't say, what's wrong? I mean, he's a damn leader. He ought to know and all. They go, whoa, this is going to be a fun group to work with. I could even bring my brains to work. <laughs> Man, I'm listening to this. Yeah, sorry if, if I don't want to sound like I'm gushing or something like that, but I'm going to listen to this. I mean, one of the things I like about talking to authors who have written, you know, big books that like have, you know, topped the charts for a long time is that they say in few words what takes me a paragraph to say. And you've done that several times. You might not know it, but you've said a couple of things that I'm like, that took me years to learn. I'm sure it took you years to learn too, but then I would guess that over years, you figured out also how to communicate it effectively. You know, my, my mission statement is to be a loving teacher and example of simple truths. <laughs> you know, I, I, my goal is to get the BS out of the behavioral sciences. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm always looking for ways and people and things that, kind of simplify things and to, uh, to make it easily understandable. I mean, when, when I met Spencer Johnson, you know, uh, at a cocktail party in 1980 uh, in San Diego, uh, 
he wrote children's books. I don't know if you knew that. He wrote these whole series with his wife called Value Tales, you know, the uh, the value of, of determination, the story of Helen Keller, the star of value of courage, the story of Jackie Robinson, the value of honesty, the story of Abe Lincoln. And my m- wife, Margie, met him first and hand carried him over to me. And she said, you guys ought to write a children's book for managers because they won't read anything else. See, and so all I had written up before that was a textbook, basically, and another uh, book, which was you know somewhat of a text on organizational change uh, that I co-authored. And so we started talking and he was working on a book called The One Minute Scolding with a Psychiatrist uh, on Disciplining Kids. And I invited him to a seminar I was doing the next week and he sat in the back and he laughed and came running up at the end and he said, forget parenting, let's do the one minute manager, you know? Mm-hmm. And so since he was a children's book writer and I'm a storyteller, we decided to write a parable because when we asked each other what our favorite books were, it was amazing. We both loved Ogmandino's The Greatest Salesman in the Football, you know, uh, you know, The Littlest Prince, <laughs> you know, books like like that, you know, and uh, that were all kind of parable stories. And, and timeless. And so, yeah, this, because uh, I think people like to read, you know, I mean, how, how did Jesus teach in the Bible? Yes, he asked a question, he'd tell a parable, <laughs> you know, he'd tell a story. So I think storytelling is really, and so uh, we decided to do that. And there, there, at that time, there was no business parable book, you know, we were the first to to do that kind of thing. And so, um, but it was one of those fun things, you know, that you don't plan on. Well, I'm glad you did it. Actually, you can't, on, on my blackboard behind me, you can't see it, but it says, more stories, fewer words. As a reminder for me, when I do interviews and all these other things, like I'm prone to talk a lot. And yeah, stories, so effective. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting? that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. All right, I'm going to I'm going to segue into, we've been talking about leadership for a while and the podcast is leadership in the environment. And, you know, the environment is an area where authoritarian leadership, self-serving leadership is supremely counterproductive. Well, in many places it is, but in in this place in particular, telling people what to do, like turn the light off when you're not in the room, people push back on that. And we haven't talked about it. And uh, is the environment something that is important to you? Is it something you care about? Well, the environment is- well, I, the environment to me means, means uh, all the people and and uh, the environment and where they live and and all that, you know. And I'm I'm concerned about our environment, but I'm concerned about it, Josh, from a leadership standpoint, you know, because you know now the people are talking about is that we're getting close to having too many people on the planet for the resources that we have, but for a long time we have had enough resources that everybody could be living, you know, a halfway decent life in terms of food and shelter and all that kind of thing and all. And then you wonder why 
And and the reason why is is it's leadership. It's all leadership. And wherever you see problems, you see self-serving leaders who take care of themselves, but they don't, uh, you know, take care of the people that they're serving, you know. And uh, I, I worry about that starting to be a movement in our country, you know, with leadership, you know, at the national level, you know. I mean, you know, what, what can we do? And, and so uh, I see, for example, take R- Rwanda, you know, where they were killing each other, you know, 20 years ago, and they got this new leader in there. And what a difference that, that has been. They're, they're now talking about they want to be, you know, the the uh, new Singapore for Africa, you know, it's a, it's a leadership issue. I'm re- I'm really glad that that was the first thing you said. And you came back to, to close with that too, that yes, I completely agree. It's a leadership thing. I think there's no technological issue that's here right now that we can't address. If we choose to, there's no distribution issue that we can't handle. If we choose to, you know, it, these systems issues make things more complicated than if it was just a linear problem. But again, leadership is the issue, and most people look at technology or they look at the markets, and these things are important, but I think it's people and their behavior that's the things, and, and that's the domain of leadership if we want to change those things. And I feel like most people are missing that. You went right to it. Yes. No, it's a, it just seems to me to, to be obvious, you know, that, uh, that that's a, an issue, and how can we uh, do that? Because, uh, you know, if we're going to be self-serving and just think about ourselves, you know, that's not going to be a good way. I mean, one of the great things about our country in the past is that we have reached out to help people around the world, you know, and we need to continue to do that. But uh, how do we get other people? And I think uh, it's a, it's a modeling of leadership. Well, I, I hope to amplify your voice on that. And, and what I want to do is invite you, if you're up for it, to act by your values in a way that you maybe haven't that to, so that people can see leaders acting by their environmental values. And what I ask is if I invite you at your option to act on a value of yours, something, and I have to put in a couple things. One is that you don't have to solve all the world's problems all by yourself overnight. So some people think if I don't do everything, I might as well not do anything. But it can't be something you're already doing, and it can't be telling someone else what to do. It has to be a behavior of yours, and not just awareness or learning something, but it has to be something behavior-related. And a lot of people think, well, what I do isn't that big of a deal. But that's the point of this podcast is to create community and for people to see I'm not the only one changing something. So if you did something like, I don't know, lower the thermostat or drove a little bit less or carpooled or something like that, then other people would say, Ken's doing it. I'm not the only one doing this. If this was an an excuse for you to act on something that you've kind of had on the back burner for a while, I would love to be part of that. Well, you know, we, we formed a foundation with our family, you know, our, our kids both are running our company and our Margie's brother, and we have a family council. And so we've, created a foundation and and we met you know we have an outside consultant that works with we meet with our family of we call it the family council for a whole day once a quarter and uh we said okay now what do we want to do in the foundation where where can we make a difference and uh where we're we're decided to put our efforts is 
on um, working with uh, young people in schools. You know, how can we, you know, if we're talking about leadership and people helping and all, we got to help people who are in a situation where maybe they don't have parental guidance. Maybe they don't have the, the kinds of things. And we're, we want to teach everybody that none of us is as smart as all of us, you know, and that we need each other. And, you know, that's the philosophy of servant leadership. But I think that what, what we need to do is create environments in schools and environments and communities and all that we're in this together. How do we help each other? It's not about do I, now that I got my deal taken care of and I'll drive into my garage, you know, but how can I help people who uh, maybe don't have as many privileges as, as I have? And what can we do to, to uh, that, you know? So that's kind of what, what I think about. Okay, so I'm trying to think if there's, uh, if there's something specific that we could come back to and talk about afterward. If not, then maybe not. But if so, that's what I'm kind of looking for. Um, yeah. But maybe I should just leave it as leave it open ended. That if there's something that you after we after we finish this conversation that you say you know what this is something that makes a difference and I bet Josh's listeners would like to listen to that would like to hear it. Well, you know, one of the things your folks might want to listen to, you know, is if if somebody said to me, Josh Blanchard, I'm going to take everything away you've ever taught for 50 years except one thing. What would you hold on to? And I would hold on to the second secret of the one-minute manager, which is the key to developing people and create organizations, is to catch people doing something right and accent the positive. And I think one of the biggest problems in our country now is the press, uh, because all they do is share bad news stories, you know? I mean, if you listen, I don't even listen to the news anymore, you know, because it's depressing. Yeah. And yet I know, for example, I was down and was asked to give a keynote on uh, a group called First Tea, and they're teaching urban kids character and values through golf, you know. Mm-hmm. And and they've impacted 10 million kids since they started. And I said, how come I never heard about you all, you know? I mean, you know, I mean, I think it's a pretty good news story, you know, and how come we don't hear about good news stories, people that are reaching out to, to help people, you know. And uh, so, like, my wife is working with a group of people who are, uh, you know, law firms that are training young people about the legal system so that they can help people, you know, that are here that would love to get to, you know, become citizens and all those kind of things that, you know, some of their legal rights and all those kinds of things. and. And all, I don't know. It's just, um, but, uh, you know, you never hear about uh, any of them, you know. So, so it's just a bad news thing. So I, I was on a program years ago with Walter Cronkite. <laughs> and, but that was when we only had news at 7 in the morning at 6 at night. Uh-huh. And he, he said he thought his job was to report the news, not to make it. And now since news is a 24-hour thing, they're running around digging up uh, stories, you know, and it's usually bad news stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I just think that we we need to to uh, catch ourselves doing some things right uh, once in a while and not uh, just beat ourselves up, you know, because I think we've made a lot of progress and a lot of things. That doesn't mean we need 
don't need to keep on moving, but you think like we we haven't made any gains at all. Yeah, well, I think what you've just shared is, is, I mean, you came right off the bat and talked about successful programs and successful things that you've seen. You're sharing these things, if not the, me- if not the major media. So it I came natural to you. Yeah, no, I, I like to report good news stories. You know, that's, you know, some of the books I've written, you know, with Colleen, with Southwest as a good news story, you know. And I think what you're doing is important and, and you've kind of motivated me to and I think I'll talk with Margie tonight. You know, what can we do individually that we've thought about, you know? You know, like this weekend, we got our young grandkids had come and we're filling these uh, bags and, and uh, things for homeless people, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we think that rather than, you know, just throwing money at them, we ought to give them something, you know, that they can use, you know, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to to uh, to do things. And there's a group here that goes down every Saturday, you know, down into the homeless area and gives people supplies for the week and all that, you know, kind of thing. And so uh, that's a whole concern of ours. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's crazy for us to have homeless people. I mean, we got to find some ways to solve that uh, problem. And, you know, I understand from some of the people, you know, there's a lot of them out there that don't want to be in shelters because they have rules and regulations, you know, and they don't want to be under that. But uh, there's a lot of people who are out there that just had tough breaks. Yeah, I feel I feel like you understand and that the potential there. What I want to be able to do, what I want to do is to give you a chance to have your voice, your actions heard. Obviously, you have an audience already, but to combine your actions with those of other leaders in, in lots of different fields so that listeners can get a feel for it, that give a legacy to you to expand your legacy so that others can hear and say, I'm not the only one. I'm part of a community. And, you know, if I do it, it's not, a, it's not just spitting into the wind. And so I want to, you know, amplify that in a, in a different way. And so that's why I'm, I'm leaving the open invitation for you that if you talk to your wife and you say, here's something, let's come back to Josh. Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. That'd be great. And then let me close with one question. Is there anything that you'd want to say directly to the listeners about anything that we've spoken to? I mean, so far you've mostly been talking to me, but anything directly to them? Well, I think the biggest thing I would want to say to to people is that I think that we're put on this earth to help others, not just for ourselves. I think that if we could only learn to get out of our own way, it would really be helpful. I often tell a story of uh, our, we lost our house in the 2007 fire. Uh, Margie and I were out of town and I leave a morning message for everybody in our company. I, my title is I'm the chief spiritual officer, you know, it's, it's not religious and all. I just didn't like be calling chairman, you know, and if I'm going to leave something for people, I'd like to leave them remembering the power of love rather than love of power. But my morning message before the fire was I just finished reading a wonderful book by a friend of mine, John Ortberg, called At the End of the Game, It All Goes Back in the Box. And uh, he, uh, it's a story about he and his grandmother, and she was an incredible Monopoly player when he was young. And he said, when she played Monopoly, she was vicious, you know. And she, he kiddingly said she acted like the illegitimate child of an affair between Donald Trump and Martha Stewart. But... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and but at the end, she had everything. She had Park Place. She had Broadway. He had nothing. She'd say, John, someday you're going to learn how to play the game. So one summer when he was about 12 or 13, kid moved next door. He was a credible Monopoly player. And he practiced with her every day all summer because he knew his grandmother was coming in September. When she came, he ran in the house and gave her a hug and a kiss. He said, Grandma, how about a Monopoly game? And her eyes lit up and she said, let's go, John. But he was ready for this time. And he wiped his grandmother out. (laughs) She had nothing. He said it was the greatest day of his life. And his grandmother said to him, John, now you know how to play the game. Let me teach you a lesson about life. He said, what's that? She says, it all goes back in the box. What? Everything you bought, everything you accumulated. And I think a lot of people think success has to do with how much money they make, their recognition for their efforts and their power and status. And there's nothing wrong with making good money or getting recognized for your efforts. But when that's who you think you are, the only way you can keep yourself worth up is get more of those. And that's where self-serving leaders get in trouble. They want more money, more power, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And they miss significance because the opposite of power and status, uh, I mean, opposite of making money is generosity of your time, your talent, your treasure. And the book I wrote with True and Kathy from Chick-fil-A, we talked about touch. As a fourth one, and the opposite of service is uh, of recognition is service, and the opposite of uh, power and uh, status is is loving relationships. You know, and this idea that at the end of the when you die, the only thing you're going to have left is your soul, and that's where you store who you love and who loved you, and did you make a difference in the world? And so that's a big, long-winded <laughs> thing to tell your people, but. Well, big and long-winded, but for me, I just had this big event, and I have a, a, a small but growing team of volunteers helping to turn this podcast into a movement. And we're meeting after this big event, and you just gave me the agenda for stuff, for what to cover, because they did a great job, and it was all about people. And I mean, I think, for me, it was exactly what I needed to hear for the next stage that we're about to start. Well, that's great. It's uh, super, you know, it's it's fun. But, you know, I'm already learning some stuff from you. It's, uh, you know, I wrote a book on mentoring, you know, and a lot of times think that mentors are always just older, you know, and, you know, you can gain something from the fact that I've lived 79 years and all. But I can learn a lot from people like you, you know, about technology and about the environment and about other things I ought to be thinking about. And so that's why I love these opportunities because it's a learning experience for me too. Well, I'm honored and flattered to hear that. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to close right there if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine. So thank you very much. And I look forward to following up, as I said, open invitation to contact me and, and I'll probably check in again at some point, but thank you for the book. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for the insight. And I look forward to next time. I hope to talk to Ken again. As you heard, there was no commitment to come on again for a second conversation. But we also heard that he's been doing things to live by his environmental values already, as well as instilling them in his community. As you know from listening to other episodes, my goal is to share what happens in these conversations, not a greenwashed or whitewashed, this is what I hope would happen, but this is how it happens. And so sometimes it doesn't happen that there's a commitment to the second conversation. I have a feeling he'll be on again. And I hope people listening 
if you are not living by some environmental value, I hope that doesn't stop you from choosing to pick it up. I think you'll like it if you do. Also, when he spoke off mic to people that were nearby him when this recording was happening, he said some things that showed that he had listened and processed some things that I'd said. And I've had some big authors on my show before that they didn't pick up on some of these things. So I'm not going to go into the details, but I'm really impressed. I was really gratified with the level of detail in the listening that Ken showed me. I think that's servant leadership in action. It makes me really like talking to him. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.